Hi, everybody. I am Johan Hannes um, from Brussels, Belgium, and uh, I'm welcome back in this new episode of uh, the podcast uh, Lifestyle is on Air. Uh, today, we will talk about communication and uh, socializing in lifestyle medicine field. And I have the pleasure and honor to uh, welcome you with uh, Professor Alexia Papagiorgiou from, uh, from Cyprus. Uh, welcome, Alexia, in our podcast. Thank you, Johan. Thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be back here. Thank you. And uh, could you tell us, um, who are you, Alexia? Yes, I will, certainly. Um, I'm, uh, first of all, I would like to let you know that I come from Greece, although I work in Cyprus. I was brought um, up, um, born and brought up in a small uh, city in the center of Greece called Karditsa. I studied my first degree in psychology um, in Athens at the American College because I wasn't at that time uh, a psychology degree in Greek University. Then I left Greece in 1994 to go and uh, do my um, uh, postgraduate degrees in the UK. So I did my uh, master's in health psychology at City University in London. And then uh, I did a PhD in psychiatry at University College London. And I worked in um, uh, in uh, different universities, UCL, and then moved to University of East Anglia, where I got my first job as a, a communication skills lecturer. Mm -hmm. And I did this um, uh, because I really wanted to do something different instead of doing the uh, kind of more traditional um, uh, jobs in uh, combining psychiatry and psychology. So health psychology was actually um, uh, a, a good background to uh, start my career as a, as a clinical communication lecturer. I was in London for um, uh, nine years and then I moved to Norwich uh, where University of East Anglia is based for another eight years and after that I came to uh, Cyprus because the St. George's Medical School in London had hunted me to bring me here to Cyprus to establish the new medical degree. Mm -hmm. So, um, I um, traveled a little bit in Europe uh, and uh, at the moment I am the Professor of Clinical Communication at the University of Nicosia Medical School and I'm the Chair of the Center of Medical Education and usually the job involves um, a, a variety of things that have to do with establishing clinical communication curricula for undergraduate and graduate medical degrees uh, assessment for designing and delivering assessment for students uh, and as a, as a chair of the Center of Medical Education I'm also responsible for um, the professional development of our academic uh, staff and the um, non-academic staff. Mm -hmm. So this is a little bit about me. Yes, that's an impressive background and uh as you seem to work in many many countries with different cultures in those countries especially i suppose london it's also very multicultural um how is the day to communicate in a multicultural um, society having a multicultural background is this um, easier or we should be i don't know we should be careful with different sensibilities what what do you think um, this is um, a, a good question. It's um, very important for us to have experience of different cultures, first of all. When I moved from Greece to England, it was very difficult, um, as you said, because the, the culture uh, uh, in terms of communication between the two countries is different. Uh, Greeks, uh, and I, I'm not, um, I don't want to stereotype us, uh, but overall we are more of uh, open in terms of uh, chatting to people, uh, having a certain style of communication, while uh, the British are different. And that had its um, challenges, let's say, um, both in a, in, a, in a positive and in a negative way, uh, because um, I had to learn to adapt my communication style to the British style. Uh, and I learned a lot through that 
learning. Um, uh, uh, Greeks, for example, could be a bit direct sometimes in their approach uh, to other people. Uh, they can be quite physical, like, uh, you know, you may touch the other person on the shoulder or um, give hands, uh, mm -hmm. like uh, shake hands, uh, at, uh, or, or even, you know, hug the other person if you've seen, <laughs> if you've seen them a few times. Uh, it, it's, not as, it's not the same in, in Britain. Uh, depending on again on the culture on the different cultures that um, uh, I had to socialize there with. Socialize, so, and this um, this way of learning uh, makes the communication more a science or an art. What you can say today to communicate efficiently and uh, good, there are some basic rules, or it's an art which is up to the the talent and the inspiration of each one? Ah, this is a complex thing. It, I don't think it's either, uh, and I think it's both. So what do I mean by that? Uh, by um, communication, first of all, uh, is dependent not only on the culture, but also on the person, what kind of personality you are born with. So for example, are you an introvert or are you an extrovert? Do you live in an, an introverted culture or an extroverted culture? Mm -hmm. What kind of skills have you, uh, for example, what kind of education did you have? Uh, did the, the education that somebody has exposed, um, uh, exposed me to these different cultures? Uh, and how open am I to actually um, uh, accepting the other person and their way, their way of communicating. It has to do with our psychological mood, uh, in what mood I am, uh, mm -hmm. in terms of when we communicate with others. And I suppose it's also the temperament, what you said, I mean, without, stereotype, uh, without yeah. using stereotypes, we associate, for example, um, certain cultures, Mediterranean, with more temperamental, let's say British are more calm. But, mm -hmm. but saying about uh, conflict, about arguing, what do you think that arguing um, is something which improves communication or it's really, um, it's really something which uh, makes more difficult uh, communication? Uh, again, arguing and, and uh, arguing is, is something that uh, <laughs> depends on all these factors that I just mentioned and it can be actually uh, a skill to learn to uh, accept the other person. So um, I, will, I will tell you about my personal stereotypes when I moved out of Greece to Britain. Uh, I wasn't able to accept feedback. Because this is culturally, this is something that we uh, we were not um, trained for in Greece. So we were, uh, as, as culture, uh, we are quite a blaming culture. So uh, from our teachers, from our parents, we got this uh, feedback was, it's your fault, it's your responsibility, or somebody has to be blamed for whatever action or behavior was going on. So this was the kind of um, uh, background I was, I was uh, coming from. So I didn't know how to, for example, give or receive feedback. Uh, mm -hmm. And it, it mentioned, you mentioned arguing. In order to, for example, have uh, a conversation, um, and uh, it, it's important to hear both sides of the story. Uh, I was not trained for that kind of thing. It was either my point of view or the other person's point of view. In other mm -hmm. words, I was raised up uh, both uh, in my family and in the culture that I was brought up to think of conflict as a linear process, that uh, we have a conflict, somebody's right, somebody's wrong, and that's it. Co conflict is resolved. Mm -hmm. And of course, this is not a kind of research has shown and uh, we know that this is not how things work nowadays. So um, uh, these days, the, the, the science that you mentioned before in terms of the, of the conflict and the argument is to be able to express your view, uh, the point, your point of view, to be able to accept the other person's point of view and see where you can find common ground and move the argument or the conflict one step further. 
Um, so, mm -hmm. Yes. That, that is the, 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 the kind of uh, approach that I have now from uh, where I see things with my experience and the studying of the field of clinical communication. So I ask this because it's um, um, this arguing or conflict is very often in a medical, uh, medical field, so between medical professionals. Mm -hmm. And actually, this is one challenge in the lifestyle medicine field that we should arrive with our backgrounds to, um, to get a communication, keeping respecting uh, the other backgrounds for the interest of the patient and a bit forgetting that, as you mentioned, that uh, we cannot have feedback or it's what it's us telling good or the another one. And this is mostly often part of the classical medical education. So this mm -hmm. is why here I have another um, guest speaker. It's um, a professor uh, from, uh, from US, uh, from the Harvard Medical School, Beth Freitas. She will um, tell us a bit about how... Uh, um, how she is seeing communication, uh, how uh, she's talking about uh, uh, with her patients about her lifestyle, if it is the case to be uh, uh, shared, and then how she's talking about lifestyle medicine uh, to other um, colleagues, uh, professionals, without being too much, but uh, informing them uh, to um, to what why we should. Uh, use this approach of lifestyle medicine. So let's uh, listen to her and we are coming back uh, to talk about other topics with you, Alexia, about communication. The book Lifestyle Medicine, An Introduction to the Power of Healthy Habits by Beth Freitas, MD, Jonathan Bonnet, MD, Richard Joseph, MD, and James Patterson, PhD, is more than a lifestyle medicine handbook. It is a lifestyle story of Beth Freitas, full of anecdotes and the special moments that have defined her personal and professional path. The honesty that transpires through the book makes the 440 pages an inspiration to read. I had a chance to enjoy the lectures, the base of Beth Freitas' book, during her classes at Harvard that I attended. I was very glad to see now that all the information is available in a book. My time spent there a few years ago was one of my best professional moments. Her lectures and the work with her assistants, especially Yasamina McBride, brought joy to the time spent there. The foreword of the book is signed by Dr. Dean Ornish, a lifestyle medicine legend. Structured in 12 chapters, each chapter about coaching, a topic dear to Beth Freitas, nutrition, exercise, sleep, stress and resilience, relaxation, substance abuse, or connection. All start with a theoretical part followed by practical key points and takeaways. The live and learn with Dr. Beth Freitas tell about her personal moments, which bring color and joy to each chapter and balance the amount of theoretical information. I strongly agree with Dr. Edward Hallowell's recommendation on the book that I quote, if you want to be happy and healthy for the rest of your life, spend an hour or two with Dr. Freitas. If you can't do that, then buy her cutting-edge handbook, which packs atomic power and does so with love, humor, and inspirational energy. Um. Thank you, Beth Freitas, for accepting my invitation to be uh, to be in the podcast. And uh, um, I was your student uh, almost five years ago uh, in the Harvard uh, Medical Harvard Extension School, uh, where uh, you uh, familiarized me with the, the the concept of lifestyle medicine, with the basics and. Uh, I was really impressed by your way of communicating. Um, so 
Today, I would like to find out maybe with you some uh, secrets of you, how, how you are doing this, that you are a so great communicator, that you are invited in many workshops, conferences. What, what do you tell to people that they listen to you so uh, fascinated? Oh, Jan, thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be here with you. And it's a real pleasure seeing you after five years and also watching you and seeing how you grow and develop in your passion for lifestyle medicine each year. And this podcast is terrific. So happy that you invited me and that we have this opportunity to connect together. I'm thrilled that you consider me a a good communicator that's a real compliment to me because i try very hard to communicate effectively passionately honestly in every interaction that i have if that's with a patient a colleague a friend a loved one it's a big question that you asked which I was know. What do you do? But I will try to break it down simplistically in general. So if I may say, are you someone who is a, you like to socialize or you are more homey person? That's a good question. I believe that I am part introvert and part extrovert. So I do love people. I love to connect with people. I love to listen to people. I love to learn about people. I do also enjoy teaching and Mm -hmm. I enjoy relaying information that may help someone. I enjoy sharing information I've learned about healthy habits so that maybe that will spark someone to initiate a goal for themselves so that they may exercise a little more or eat another vegetable or sleep or try to do deep breathing. If I can plant a seed Mm -hmm. when I'm speaking to someone, I really do. You do it that very well because I remember from your last book, you gave an example when you've been a student and in UK that you are doing jogging and was not very popular of that time. And how uh, someone stopped you on the street and when saw you that you are running, that you are running from someone. So you were funny way of promoting uh, healthy lifestyle habits are probably part of, uh, of your style, I suppose. Well, that's nice of you to say. And I do remember that, of course, that incident in, in Brighton, England. That's where I was for a year. I believe that humor is effective. It's a great tool to connect with people, a laugh, a smile. They're very powerful. Mm-hmm. And for me, I love to give presentations. I feel that that's my calling. And I feel that that is what I need to do to live my purpose and my passion to help people lead their best lives and be thriving. I feel like doing those presentations are very important. I also love people and I love meeting new people. So yes, I am extrovert in that way. I socialize in that way. I, I work very hard to cultivate high quality connections with a few dear friends. I've been working on that with some high school friends, college friends, medical school friends, friends from residency, and now friends from my workplace here at Harvard Medical School. I also, though, I like my quiet time. So I am part introverted in that I, I do enjoy reading. I do enjoy poetry. I do enjoy listening to music. I do enjoy jogging on my own. It's a bit meditative. I love yoga. I, I enjoy sitting and daydreaming, thinking, uh, mm-hmm. relaxing. Recharge, so, recharging batteries. Exactly. For me, alone time is important. So there's where the introvert part of me comes out. In terms of the communication, I believe that a lot of my work 
actually stems from, yes, research and experience. I think the root, though, is my Greek grandma Rose, who came here with my grandma, my grandpa Peter. They were in Greece in Basara, and they had arranged marriage. And when they were 18, they came to East Boston here. And they were amazing people. Of course, they're my grandparents, I think this. But they were loving, hardworking, compassionate people who believed. My grandmother believed, and she instilled in me this belief. And I think this is partly why I enjoy communicating so much and perhaps partly why classes or workshops or even bigger presentations are considered to be helpful hopefully even powerful my grandmother would say every single person is a good person beth everybody has beauty inside so very generous yes very generous you just have to listen you just have to look and you will find this beauty and everybody is wise everybody is wise in their own way so if you listen long enough you Mm -hmm. will get wisdom so this idea was passed on to my mom, also passed on to me. Fortunately, my grandma lived till she was 86, so she passed it directly to me. But then yeah. when she passed away, my mom lived this way as well, which is to discover the beauty in the person in front of you. This is true if you remember the class at the Extension School. Exactly. There, were, there were about 120 of us. About 30 were in front of me, and the rest were in different countries like you, and they were available via the internet. And they would uh, chime in from Zoom and different platforms into the Mm -hmm. lectures. And I say every class in the beginning of the class, there's a lot of wisdom in this room. And what we're gonna try to do is bring it out. So whenever I'm communicating with a group or an individual, I am thinking to myself, where's the beauty where's the wisdom let's ask questions let's engage let's listen when i'm teaching of course i know i have some specific points that i want to make but i want to make sure Mm -hmm. that the person i'm in front of or the people i'm in front of are engaged interested and open to learning new information so i try to make it a a little bit of a two-way street Unless, Jan, I am giving a presentation to a thousand people in front of me, (laughs) Mm -hmm. then I simply need to speak and teach. Even then, I'm not satisfied without some feedback. So I always ask questions where people can stand or raise their hand so I can engage the person in front of me, make them feel like they're valued in this interaction okay and one thing which i remember from the course when i was there how easily to, you talked about personal experiences um do you use these um, personal experiences even family um, family um, memories or uh, use very often what determined you to choose the specialty physiatry. I didn't even know that time what was about uh, after your father um, health uh, challenge, I would say this. Do you use this way of sharing your personal experiences in the communication with the patients? Or we should be, um, well, yeah. Yeah, I think I I understand the question. It's a good question. It's about disclosure, how much you disclose when you're in a physician-patient relationship. As you know, now I'm doing lifestyle medicine consulting and mostly coaching. So the Mm -hmm. coaching-client relationship is where I would be spending the majority of my time these days. And in terms of disclosure, first of all, when I disclose information either about myself or about my family with their permission. My father had a heart attack and stroke when I was 18, and I tell that story a lot to to give Mm -hmm. people a framework to understand the power of healthy habits. When I talk about my own struggles or my own experiences, I do this to show that we're all human. We're all human beings Mm -hmm. striving to enjoy 
life, which involves success, struggles, and surprises. So when I'm sharing my personal experiences, I'm showing that I'm a human being, just like the person in front of me, the people in front of me, the class in front of me, the workshop in front of me, mm-hmm. and I am sharing vulnerability. So vulnerability is one of the key things that, that makes us human. And a lot of people hide it and they feel to be powerful. They don't show any weakness or vulnerability at all, but there's danger in that because that's not human. Mm -hmm. And most people want to follow a leader who is human and who has experienced struggles or setbacks and knows how to bounce back and be resilient. So when I'm sharing the stories of my own life, I am really trying to give people a sense that what they're going through Mm -hmm. is not that unique it's their own experience but there's so many connections and so many similarities with what i'm going through and what pretty much all people go through when they go through a struggle the struggle itself may be different under different circumstances but how we respond and how it may hurt and how we can find methodologies, mechanisms, tricks, tools, strategies out of the hurt and into higher ground. That's what I'm trying to share. We've all hurt. We've all had setbacks, every single human. And when you share them, it's a, real, it's a way of giving power to your, your new self, power to the person that you became after overcoming that struggle. So... Mm-hmm. Yes. So in fact, sharing your experience with the patient, you you show your, uh, that you became rich. I mean, you, you got something, this experience, so that you give optimism somewhere to the person to, to, to take this like a challenge, which will make the life uh, different, but also rich in, 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 uh, in experience or... Right. Even better. To make life even better. Right. Exactly. Richer, as you say. Now, when I am with clients or patients or working with a workshop of patients in lifestyle medicine interventions, I will share some, but not quite as much as when I was teaching you at the extension school because there's a lot of learning that goes in the live and learns that I shared, which is I tried something with a patient. It didn't go that well. This is what I learned. And this is how you can benefit. When I'm with patients in general, Mm -hmm. I try to just listen to them and their story. And I don't usually bring myself into the picture unless or until they have experienced something and appear to be struggling and hurting and I may have a similar experience or one that they can relate to. And I would ask permission to say, I hear what you're saying. It sounds like it's a challenge. I actually have experienced a similar challenge. Would you like to hear about it? And if they say yes, then I will share that experience with them. And then I will say, what, what do you think about that? So for me, it's not about sharing the experience for me to heal it's more sharing the experience so that the person in front of me may heal and heal faster and heal a little bit stronger. There is a fine line when you're a clinician in terms of what you share and how much you share and when you share and how much you disclose. In medical school at Stanford in the 90s, we were taught not to disclose anything about exactly. ourselves. <laughs> and when, you're, when you are a, in a physician relationship and you're talking about acute care and pneumonia and heart attacks, that's not a place for the coach approach or a place for sharing. That's really an ex- expert <laughs> approach. But as I say, I've moved out of that expert approach and out of the hospital clinical care into lifestyle medicine, health and wellness coaching. And even in that arena, when I share uh, one-on-one, it's very rare. I'm mostly talking about the patient and what's going on with that or client, that coaching client versus what's going on with me. I very rarely spend time in an hour session on my own story. 
when there's a workshop and there's mm -hmm. say 10 people in the group and they're all sharing different stories, then they ask me what my situation is. I will, I will share, but I try to listen more in terms of the patients and clients teaching again is a little different because I'm, I'm sharing more. I'm talking more. I'm trying to convey more. I'm using my experience as example to teach. So I will use my own stories more. And in the lifestyle medicine handbook that you, you talked about, mm -hmm. I, again, it's a teaching tool. So I'm sharing more of my stories. It's more of a, a one way communication in that regard, but with the patient or the, the, the client, it's, it's less of, I don't use that disclosure as much. I really do not. You mentioned uh, the classical, that you did a transition from the classical hospital to the outside of the classical, to the coaching. But many of the people who at the beginning are interested about lifestyle medicine, and they try to bring uh, the subject to their colleagues, um, they, they have this, this communication challenge that, uh, uh, they are passionate about this, um, but after a while, and I see from myself, I have colleagues who just uh, told me, ah, yes, you are always with lifestyle, but you know, medicine, it's a bit something else. And uh, so I, I just started to ask myself, uh, how, how much I can share with my colleagues, uh, whatever they are, medical doctors or other uh, medical professionals, not to be too much, but to be enough to open their curiosities uh, to, to this amazing field. Mm, yes. So for me, I live and breathe this and have since I was 18, as you know, Jan. Mm -hmm. So it's just very natural for me to talk about health and well-being. However, I understand that when I'm working with surgeons or oncologists or other colleagues, they may not be as interested in exercise, nutrition, sleep, stress resiliency. I try to listen to what they're talking about. And if there's an opening, for example, how social connection and uh, can delay uh, uh, disease and how uh, social isolation can actually increase atherosclerosis and can in fact delay wound healing. When I know that there's a, a connection between something in lifestyle medicine and what my colleagues are interested in, if it's surgeons, it would be wound healing. So does the patient go back home and feel connected, have social bonds and ties that are strong and if they do, they're, they're likely to have wound healing that goes well. And if not, the wound healing could be delayed. Then they're much more interested when you relay the facts or your passion in a way that connects to something they're passionate about. That's, that's how I find that I make headway. My, I don't generally talk about my own habits with my friends or, or colleagues or even family. Mm -hmm. I believe that one leads as exa an example. So I simply mm -hmm. do. And if people ask me questions and that happens a lot, they say, well, what do you do for exercise? What do you eat? How do you manage stress? When they ask me, I know they're open. So I will share. If, if people don't ask me, friends, colleagues, family, about my lifestyle habits. I don't, I don't share them. I instead try to just lead by example. So I just do. So if I'm at a family function, I will likely go for a walk if it's longer than three hours. I will be busy. When we're eating, I'm going to have a big salad. I, I make my preferences clear by my actions. Yes. So your actions are speaking more than your words or whatever. Yeah. Okay, I understand. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Beth, for, um, for sharing with us uh, years of experience and making it so very clear. Um, and um, I'm glad that we, we met uh, 
uh, again, even it's online, but it seems that will be a norm for a while. Yes. Um, so thank you again for your presence in the podcast. Thank you, Jan, so much for remembering me, for thinking about me and inviting me to this podcast. It's been a pleasure. Uh, so uh, we are back after the, um, after the interview with uh, Beth Freitas and um, uh, we saw a bit how, how important is to um, the way how we are talking with, uh, with our patient, with our colleagues. Um, but of course, this is maybe some ideal situation that our patient is really motivated, is open to communicate. Um, but we know that it's not always and often not the case. This is sometimes the, our fault because we have a certain type of training. And then sometimes it's, we say that we have some difficult or challenging patients. And Alexia, you've been invited like a guest speaker in the European uh, Lifestyle Medicine Certificate. And you, you just did a very interesting exercise asking um, before the presentation to have some feedbacks from, from the students, what, how they see a difficult patient. Mm -hmm. um, based on these uh, feedbacks, based on uh, your experience, do we have uh, a difficult patient? Uh, I think everyone has a difficult uh, or difficult patients. Uh, and that's what, uh, that, that's why I found um, this, I find these exercises asking participants to tell us their own stories about what they find difficult. So um, I will give examples of the, of, of the patients that people find difficult. And then we will look at exactly what you asked, Johan, whether there is actually a difficult patient or not. So healthcare professionals find people who don't speak their own language difficult, uh, people who don't follow the healthcare professional advice, um, people who um, um, show willing to uh, to change but then they don't stick to the um, discipline that is required for change uh, mm -hmm. people who are um, uh, rude to healthcare professionals um, angry people um, sometimes uh, consultations who are with more than one person uh, like for example um, Parents, family yeah, yes. family member and the child uh, or um, elderly patients are also in the category of um, the difficult patients. Um, people from different cultural backgrounds that, uh, um, that have their own health beliefs about how um, uh, their illnesses have to be treated. And the um, other people find difficult patients, the patients... Um, uh, they have to give information that are unpleasant. Uh, mm -hmm. So the, 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 the um, variety of the uh, variety of, of uh, cases that people find difficult um, are, are many. And yes, there are some people who are um, easier to get on with, and some people who are not as easy to get on with in terms of our patients. But what we actually don't um, see is our own as you said, our own role in these kind of uh, situations. For example, uh, how difficult we find people depends on our uh, own mood, whether we have slept well the previous night, whether we are stressed out because we have to see uh, 10 patients instead of three uh, in, uh, in an hour, uh, whether we get enough exercise, uh, whether we have a good diet, uh, whether we are able to impose some kind of uh, control on our work or whether we are completely hopeless, like working in a, in a healthcare system that is overwhelming mm -hmm. and so on and so on and so forth. So when we talk about difficult people, uh, difficult patients, I usually like to think about the combination of the healthcare professional and the patient. 
there are two in the room and the dynamic whether uh, this will be a difficult consultation or session depends on both of them. So let's reframe. Are there difficult patients or are they difficult consultations? So if we move from a difficult patient to a difficult consultation, then we can have a look at what makes that consultation difficult. And that could be either the patient or the healthcare professional, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And here I'm, uh, I'm arriving to, yes, to us, to health uh, professionals, because um, one tool which we are often using in lifestyle medicine is the motivation interviewing, which... Mm -hmm. uh, you like having also a background as a health coach, mm -hmm. uh, you know, with just one technique used in uh, communication as, as, a, as a coach. But mm -hmm. um, this, it's, uh, let's say, maybe the, the most used in a lifestyle medicine. And um, it's really something which challenges our traditional uh, training uh, mm -hmm. as that we know better than our patient, mm -hmm. what is good uh, for, for her or him. Uh, why it's easier to have a unilateral communication for, uh, for us medical, I mean, health professionals? And how we can, can get out of this, uh, yes. uh, this uh, matrix? Yeah, first I would like just to go back and, um, uh, and if people hear us, to when they think about the difficult consultation, the difficult person to think about the consultation and try to unlock this, this kind of dynamic to see what was going on there. Was it the patient or was it me who was actually contributing to that? Mm -hmm. And then one question that um, healthcare professionals, uh, you said it's, it's their training. Uh, the majority of healthcare professionals have, haven't done motivational interviewing or clinical communication trainings like the newer generations of doctors. This new type of training has come in in 2000, um, in later than 2000, 2001, 2003 in most universities in the UK. So um, this is something uh, that has to do with the skill. We discussed in our previous session about uh, whether a communication is an art or a science. And I believe it's both. If you don't have the tools, first of all, it's, it's, it's a kind of skill. If you don't have the tools, then it's very difficult uh, to, to make it artful. So you cannot make something beautiful without having the tools to do so. so exactly. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, quite, uh, it's quite important to empower healthcare professionals with the right kind of training so that not only they get the skills, but once they get the skills, then they can probably change the attitude of what you just said before of that communication has to be one way and it is from the healthcare professional who knows to the patient who doesn't know. Because patients are um, the, the source of knowledge about what is going on and how they can change their lifestyle. Mm -hmm. So no matter how much we know, unless we are able to tap on that kind of wealth that is, that is our patient and their um, uh, skills and barriers in changing is very difficult for us to succeed in uh, helping them, empowering them. And then we will think, okay, this is a difficult patient that uh, I'm not able to work with. So first of all, by us getting uh, the, the right training with the right tools, is, is paramount in actually changing our attitude towards that. One thing I would ask a lot of, uh, of, of um, uh, healthcare professionals who uh, listen to, who may listen to this um, discussion is what do I want to get out of my communication with this patient? If uh, you have five minutes, let's say with a patient, and you are under a lot of pressure, uh, what is the one thing that you want to get out of that five minute uh, slot? Then you so choose to make it, to make to it make an it, efficient. Exactly, uh, because you cannot in five minutes uh, change the patient. Uh, choose one aspect and choose this with your patient. If you have five minutes, 
tell that to the patient and give them the choice of another appointment when uh, probably there will be a bit more time to discuss the life change um, and ask the patient whether they would like to, uh, to discuss uh, and come back uh, about a specific life change, which is what motivation is. Thank you for this very practical tip. So uh, uh, now uh, for uh, we arrive to the end of our podcast and um, uh, here we'll have an, um, an interview uh, with um, uh, Professor Urania Kolokotroni. She's also from Cyprus, but uh, we recorded this, uh, this interview, uh, her experience in stewarding uh, uh, the lockdown in Cyprus, and we will see how uh, she kept in contact with the um, with the colleagues, with the friends, with the family um, when uh, everything uh, everything was in a lockdown. Um, and then we just coming back to to talk a bit more about the challenges what we have uh, during this uh, difficult time uh, uh, we are going uh, through. So stay with us. We are coming back in a few minutes. Um, hello, Urania, and uh, welcome in the podcast. Uh, uh, I'm happy that uh, we have you from uh, Cyprus. You are um, uh, working in academia like a medical doctor at the University of Nicosia of Medical School. Um, how are you today? Um, hi, Ron. Thank you very much for uh, inviting me to, put, to participate in this uh, podcast. Uh, um, I'm fine. Um, uh, I'm still in uh, in lockdown in in Cyprus, um, and uh, as you know, in Cyprus the lockdown has been a little bit stricter than in other countries. Uh, we're only allowed to go out uh, once a day. Wow, that is very uh, strict. <laughs> yes. Uh, so um, it, we've been through uh, uh, you know a tough period since uh, the 15th of March, but I think. Things are looking up now. So, mm -hmm. so um, you will uh, you will talk about um, about the social connection mm -hmm. in times when this is really challenging. And I imagine that uh, the Mediterranean uh, background, what you have, it's really really challenging for you. Mm -hmm. Am I right or? Yes, um, I think uh, the Mediterranean countries like Cyprus and, and Greece and some other countries have been in, in strict lockdown, which is a little bit against our culture and the way that we usually live our lives because we're usually very, uh, we have strong uh, connections to our family and, and friends and we seem, we spend a lot of time socializing with them and um, the, this um, social distancing and the lockdown um, mm -hmm. has actually affected uh, people in Cyprus a lot. The fact that they cannot be together with their friends and families, but um, we have found ways around it so that we can uh, we could maintain some of uh, to maintain our relationships so that uh, that will help our mental well-being as well. Mm -hmm. And how you did because uh, you are still continuing, I mean, teaching in mm -hmm. the university. So that was probably increasing now uh, mm -hmm. your work, uh, creativity and amount as you have to find mm -hmm. other different ways to, to, uh, to deal with the situation. So mm -hmm. how you, um, did you develop a plan or a structure to, to keep your social connections? Um, yeah, I, I think... From the beginning, it kind of became apparent that things will be uh, more demanding during this period because, as you said, the work commitments um, were high uh, because we changed our way of delivering our um, curriculum of, of our medical programs to online, so that uh, involved a lot of work. And, and also, at the same time, um, I had my children at home uh, because the schools were closed down, so that kind of increased my life, my, my um, life commitment as well. So um, I thought from the beginning we need, um, I need to find ways um, so that I can still um, maintain my, uh, the relationship with people um, 
not my immediate family, my immediate family, my children, mm -hmm. my husband, we live together and I see them and I have to say that I see them more than I used to before, which is something uh, very good. Um, uh, I think everybody has to say that uh, within the fam immediate family, the connections are probably become stronger nowadays without mm -hmm. being at home more. Um, but it, to maintain relationships uh, with friends, with family, and with colleagues. And um, those, those were the things that I needed to put, um, to, to start to think how to do it. And, and um, probably to find a balance between them. Ex so. Exactly, yes. Mm -hmm. So in terms of uh, friends, um, what I thought is that um, it would be good if we had some virtual coffee uh, meetings. Um, oh, very nice so, idea. Yeah, so we would use um, the online platforms uh, so that we can, and we schedule, schedule meetings. We, everybody made their coffee at home and we would sit and, and talk. And we tried to avoid the COVID subject as much as, <laughs> as we can so that we reduce our stress levels. But um, inevitably, you know, you can never avoid this subject. So that was one of the things to do with um, with adults, and and we try to do this with our children as well, um, because they need to maintain their their friendships at school. And and one good thing was that we have online uh, uh, we have online teaching for our schools um, mm -hmm. uh, for for our children, so they meet with their friends every day. But it was even more to keep them connected with with their friends. Um, okay. So that was one thing to do. The other thing was with colleagues, um, because when we were physically present at the university, obviously we had the, the chance to, to socialize a bit, to have lunch together, or even before meetings to meet a little bit earlier um, and, 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 you know, uh, catch up with what's happening in our lives. Yes, um, before the, the, the real, I mean, the, the professional meeting. Exactly. So now what we say is that when we do plan meetings, we spend the first 15 or 20 minutes uh, again to kind of socialize before we actually um, get to the actual work. And that has helped because uh, everybody gets the opportunity to uh, to say what they're doing. We exchange ideas on how we could spend our evenings. Um, so that that has also helped a lot um, and, and with keeping up the relationship. Mm -hmm. So you kept uh, even virtually these uh, these mm -hmm. habits. And then yeah. what's the, uh, the, the family? I mean, I mean, the yeah. bit... in terms of the extended family, because as I said, you know, in Mediterranean countries, the extended family is you know, it's very important and uh, what we've managed to do with, uh, with my children especially is uh, uh, to go and visit, uh, you know, grandparents, uncles, aunties, not mm -hmm. visit them in the house, obviously, because that's not allowed. But every afternoon when we uh, get our, when we do our only one um, uh, time that we're allowed to go out of the house, we go, we spend it on physical activity, which is very important as well. But what we do is that we walk um, to um, you know to grandparents' houses or to uncle houses, but we stay outside, um, mm -hmm. and uh, we they come out on the veranda. We have a, a talk for 10-15 minutes, mm -hmm. and then we come back. And in this way, we we kept connected, especially with you know with elderly who are at high risk group, and they are less. They come out of the house if, not even once a day. They try to avoid getting out of the house. Yes, so we have kept the connection with them, and they we have kept them some company. Um, I think these days they are. Uh, if we don't visit them, they call us and they say, "Are you going to visit us today?" Which is something nice that we know that they're looking forward to us walking by their houses. Mm -hmm. Oh, but it's very, very creative and very well structured how how you did it. Uh, and let's hope that. Um, uh, on the long term, uh, this will be somewhere uh, somewhere nice memory that even with the challenges what we had, mm -hmm. uh, the importance of um, and the way to still maintain the social connections were uh, uh, were still in our life. Mm -hmm. So thank you very much for uh, sharing. Uh, if with I us. have 
If I have a couple of minutes, I have to say that no, people in Cyprus have been quite creative. Um, I know oh. that in some neighborhoods, um, they even arrange bingo nights. Uh, people are sitting on their balconies. One of them is doing the bingo and the other ones participate. <laughs> So that's one thing that they've done. And I know I've seen that in Greece, um, a few of the um, uh, popular Greek singers, they've been doing uh, lives on Instagram mm -hmm. to keep people company. And uh, one, of the, one of the most popular, I think, Greek singers, yes, a couple of days ago, she actually uh, did a whole tour of Athens singing on a track. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Um, so, uh, okay, that's not social connections, but again, it's something that, you know, keeps people uh, happy. Together and, and happy. happy. Yes, yes. yes. Exactly. Thank you very much, Urania. And, Thank uh, you. Um, so we are back. Um, after listening uh, the interview with uh, with Urania, and um, it was very um, very funny to see how uh, she continued to have her coffee with uh, with uh, the friends, even if it was on Skype, uh, and how she kept in touch with the family. Um, but Alexia, um, unfortunately, even if the lockdown it's uh, it's gone. In Cyprus, no, it's more mm -hmm. flexible. Yeah. Um, many countries uh, still experience restrictions, uh, which are uh, related to work, related to to be with uh, with friends, uh, family, and it seems from uh, from uh, studies, from feedbacks, that there are many many divorces or many couples just. Uh, just uh, make an end uh, to their relationship. Um, I don't, I mean, we've been more home. Um, so how this type of um, closed spaces, same spaces, communication can be, um, can be helped to, to mm -hmm. avoid conflicts, uh, or how, how we should communicate when we are everybody, every day in the same space we are working, living, uh, trying to socialize and even to, uh, to have fun. Mm. Well, again, it, it, it's very, very complex, isn't it? Because it depends yes. on the kind of, of house you have. If you're, if you're a family and you are in a room, in one room, you have to share one room uh, where the kids uh, study and two adults, for example, have to work from their computers, um, I think the best, even the best communicators would find it um, <laughs> quite challenging mm -hmm. to, um, uh, to be creative. So uh, communication also depends on the environment and uh, the, uh, uh, the space that we, uh, we have in our own disposition in order to uh, enhance or uh, otherwise it will be impeded in terms of communication. So uh, let's look at the, at the kind of average uh, situation where there is uh, some space that can be shared with a bit of creativity uh, among the, amongst the family. Uh, the, uh, the communication has to do with, with clarity of boundaries. Um, for example, uh, again, if we go back to uh, a little bit of work with ourselves, because that's, uh, that's where everything starts. Exactly. Um, uh -huh. how, how do I feel at this particular moment? Uh, do I feel frustrated that uh, the kids are shouting or uh, the, uh, the partner on the computer, for example, is uh, having a, a heated argument with uh, uh, their boss at work. Um, so how do I feel? First of all, I need to, before I start uh, shouting, let's say, mm -hmm. to everyone, uh, think about how that makes me feel. And then the next question is, what is the best way to achieve what I want? What is, what is it that I feel? What do I want to achieve? And what is the best way for me to achieve what I want? 
So three questions to ourselves before we go, we start shouting, because this is the easy part. I feel, let's say, if we look at the, the three questions that I posed, how do I feel? I feel frustrated and I cannot concentrate. Okay, this is how I feel. What do I want, what do I want to, um, to, uh, to achieve? Then it's, uh, oh, I want a bit of peace and quiet in order to uh, concentrate. And do I want the peace and quiet for the whole day or for the next 10 minutes? And how best can I achieve this? What is the, what is the best solution knowing my loved ones? So maybe I can uh, uh, give the, the children something to work on for 10 minutes while uh, I'm doing this. And maybe I can ask my um, partner uh, to uh, just put the headphones or um, actually go to the veranda. Before I ask all this, uh, b before I go and try to implement this is actually designing this whole thing in my head. And from what I know, will these uh, things work, for example, with my, my family? So that's, that's what I think the secret is, to just stay within ourselves and ask those three important questions and come up with a realistic plan before we go and ask our loved ones to implement this plan. Thank you, Alexia, for all the information that you shared with us and uh, the, the practical uh, tips. Uh, we didn't talk about uh, how technology and artificial intelligence uh, influence our communication in general and lifestyle medicine, but we knew that we had some technical problems here, so uh, I apologize if some sounds were a bit challenging during our podcast, but uh, we did this at, at a distance. Uh, so thank you for being present and for those who would like to um, to follow us and uh, for the next episode we'll we will talk about stress and brain health about Alzheimer um, how we can avoid through lifestyle um, habits and interventions uh, um, Alzheimer and uh, how to care about our brain health but until then, uh, enjoy our episode and um, hear you um, soon uh, with your comments and uh, with your contributions. Thank you for being in the podcast. Thank you.